Peace and welcome to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a Sports Ethos production, where we look at the Seahawks from every angle, every week. I'm your host, Candace Higgins. And I'm Tino Ganassius. And we are here. The Talk Hawks is a pleasure and a privilege as always. So let's get into it. We are going to preview um, the Thanksgiving game for um, the Seahawks is a really bit has been one of the most anticipated games of the year. Uh, 49ers versus uh, Seahawks, the first divisional matchup for the year, um, but also just the first time in years that I think the Seahawks have had a Thanksgiving game at all, which is just mm-hmm. a, a big deal in and of itself. So that's pretty exciting. Um, but it comes on the back of a um, loss to the Rams, um, a tough one on the road that I guess we'll talk about that too and sort of how some of those themes may carry over into um, this week because there were quite a few things, not just game plan wise, but also just injury wise that I think will impact and have, you'll feel the impact on the next upcoming game. So, um, Tino, let's start with just before we get too deep into the 49ers, we'll sort of react to the Rams game and and how you think if any, if any ways that may impact them for this upcoming game? Well, I certainly think that the uh, the injuries, we talked offline before we got started here, the injuries are going to play a huge role, right? If, if K-9 isn't available uh, against the Niners, I don't expect the Seahawks to run the ball against the Niners anyways, but if he's not available, then Charbonnet is basically your horse. Yeah. Um, does that impact the, the overall score of the game? I don't necessarily know, but... Um, that injury is not a good one. Uh, you know, DK with the toe is not a good one either. No. I just, I was disappointed because I think part of the value of a Pete Carroll coach team and some of the things that he's always preached, especially when Russ was here was keep the game close, right? Play good red zone defense, bend, but not break, keep the game close and we'll win, right? We have more confidence in our players and our quarterback than you do. And it was a formula that I think Pete Carroll was very confident in and very good at, good with, right? And so watching yeah. that Rams game, I've been conditioned to just think, okay, it's close, but the Hawks play close games, right? This isn't the Miami Dolphins. And yeah. so the Hawks are going to pull this out. They know they got four really tough games coming up on that schedule, and then they lost. Yeah. And I, for one, was I was shocked, right? Because I've come to expect the Seahawks to win close games. And and disappointed, to be honest with you, I think my my take since we've last talked about this team has changed a bit. Um, I think we have enough of a sample size to to kind of see their true colors. And that was a win that they had to have. Yeah, they had to have it right. Just like they had to have that first game against the Rams. There's no there's no reason why the Rams should be beating the Seahawks. No sweeping player, player for player, talent for talent. You know, is it a coaching issue? Um, I think there that is worth asking the question. I'm not saying that that Pete Carroll should go, but I do think that there are some, <clears throat> excuse me, some adjustments that need to be made. And and so no, I was I was incredibly disappointed. It was my birthday. I had homies over. Oh no, Cubanos. Like we were having our, our beer. There were 12 people at the crib. We had two TVs out, one for Red Zone, one for the Hawks game. You know, most <laughs> oh, all Seahawks fans, and they did that. And it was it was like the air went out of the room. And I, yeah. I imagine for most Hawks fans, that's how it felt. So, yeah, yeah I'm disappointed. Um, I don't think that the Geno injury is going to 
I know that it hurt and I know that his arm isn't good right now, but I don't think, I, I do think he's going to play on Thursday. Um, and I do think he's going to throw the ball a lot, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way. Uh, 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 well, similarly for the most part, I, I think in terms of coaching where I think it's undeniable is how penalized this team is uh, with penalties. And I, and some of the defensive calls, especially in the last game, I really disagreed with quite a few of them. I thought they were way too ticky tacky and I don't think they were being consistent on calling those same fouls on both sides of the ball, which was really frustrating to see. And it's not the first time that's happened, but those offensive fouls, they are drive killers and they happen way too often. So it's not just that it's on one side of the ball or it's just the refs. A lot of those offensive false starts or that's just those things that set you back. That's costly. And I that that is clear coaching. And I don't think any of the offensive calls have been wrong. I mean, I mean as of late in, in recent recent memory, they're just guys screwing up. And I think it I'm sure that the Seahawks are still one of the most penalized teams in the league. They were the most penalized team as of two weeks ago. And I I don't see any evidence that that would change because it's not like the Seahawks have gotten better at at penalties. Um, You could argue in some ways that that was the game. I also think it was coaching from a management clock management standpoint in that last drive. And I did, there was some talk about, so just to, recap the specific instance with with, with with which I'm referring to is they're down uh, DK Metcalf you're driving down the field DK Metcalf gets a really clutch catch um to put them in the field goal range and then the immediate next play they they took a they seemed like they were not hustling initially like initially there seemed to be a slow pace and then they realized oh we're in a time crunch let's sort of get the ball moving and the next call was a run for Zach Charbonnet which went maybe a yard, um, no more than two. And it just lost so much time off the clock. It didn't, they really just should have spiked the ball, right. bought themselves some more time. Had they spiked the ball then, I think with, they may have 30 seconds left at that point. That's enough time to run two plays, maybe even three, right. uh, to try to see if you can get yourself closer in the field goal range. And passing the ball had worked really well up into that point. So you're already in a no huddle quick off, you know, quick up-tempo offense that's working against the defense and then to just detour from that. Now, there was some explanation given. There was an issue, Gino said in the press conference, that um, his mic went out or he couldn't hear um, what the actual call was. So it was just the quickest play he could think of. That's really unfortunate that that was the best play he could think Gino, of. Gino, you got to know in that instance, <laughs> yeah. if, if your mic goes out, you're throwing the ball, right? Yeah. So if I can say... Up up until that point, like right after that Metcalf catch, I was thinking to myself, okay, they're moving slow up to the line. They're trying to conserve that timeout. Um, you're either going to hustle to the line and call a pass play, right? Mm-hmm. Because knowing and a pass play either deep over the middle and call the timeout or to the sideline yep, or spike the ball, right? right. It's, it's one of those two things, but it's not, it's not run the ball right and and i so so they run the ball i'm frustrated i'm yelling at the tv but then like i'm thinking to myself what is the percentage it was a 54 55 yarder that it ended up being mm-hmm. you know when they ran the ball i thought to myself okay maybe they're trying to get the ball at the right place between the hash marks uh for jason myers 
But even then, what's the percentages on a field goal from that far? It's got to be less than 50%, you know, typically for kickers. Mm-hmm. And so you're not giving yourself the opportunity to win. And no. the microphone going out or the headset going out is my 10-year-old daughter would know, you, you know, you pass the ball in that situation unless you think you're catching the Rams completely off guard and you expect that to be a 20-yard chunk play right. for a chip shot field goal. That is the only justification. And even then, it's 50-50 as to whether that's justified or not, even with the 20-yard gain, right? So I don't know. I was... I was they ran them right up the gut. It was nothing innovative about that run play at all. It wasn't, all. right? It wasn't... Maybe even like if, you, if it was a draw, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. But yeah, I, I feel like it was a brain fart like across the board. And I know that Pete doesn't have that. He's not the greatest clock manager. I also know that he doesn't necessarily take part. He takes part in those conversations, but he's not going to step, step in and say a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. But I think we have to ask the question, what was going on with Shane Waldron and what was going on with Gino in that situation? I, I for one have defended Gino because I feel like he's a very intelligent quarterback and I feel like he's very, very good at reading defenses and is an accurate passer. But would any of the upper echelon quarterbacks ever call a run on their own in that situation? Would a Patrick Mahomes, right? A Tom Brady, even an Aaron Rodgers, who I don't love, but Aaron Rodgers, any of those guys, they would never, you have never seen those guys make that mistake. No. Not and it, and wasn't like the a, first big mistake that he made. We we didn't get talked about the game before where he, yeah. where he like basically takes points off of the board for for lack of clock. I guess I say that to say that this isn't his first instance of having such a big brain fart that directly impacts the outcome of a game. You're right. You're right. And I think we can we can roll into the into the Niners game if you want. But for me, you know, I felt like if the talent around Gino is good enough, Gino can lead you pretty far into the playoffs because he's accurate. Last year, he didn't make a lot of mistakes. He had a really high completion percentage, right? He was making good decisions. This year's Gino, this year's Gino means we're drafting a quarterback, right? This year's Gino means you bring someone in, maybe you start him next year, and then and you groom a quarterback to take over in in two years. But we're not winning with this with this version of Geno Smith, right? And I don't know. What if it's the adjustments that the other teams have made after getting enough film on him last year, or if he's tried to do too much, but he's not playing all that well. And what's interesting about this matchup with the Niners, if we can roll into it, is yep. in my mind, the only way, the only way this team is going to beat the Niners, the only chance is if Geno Smith and those wide receivers go off. That it because the Seahawks are not going to be able to run the ball against that front seven, whether whether Lucas is healthy or not. You look at that front seven. When I started writing down those names, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, Chase Young, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, if they're going nickel and those are your front six, Seahawks aren't running the ball against them. They're just not, right? But you look at that secondary with the Niners, and you now you got uh, uh, Hufanga out, their all-pro yeah. safety, who patrols the middle. Yeah, there might be a little bit of weakness in that secondary. If it's me and I'm Shane Waldron, I'm letting it all hang out. 
we're going deep. We're running play action. We're going deep. We're chucking the ball. We're looking for pass interferences. I'm saying DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are probably my two best offensive players. And we're going to see if that secondary can hold up. And we're just, we're going to let it all hang out. We're going to take risks because we know we can't run the ball. The other thing is Charbonnet's never, and I know he's a tough dude, but he's never carried the ball 20 times in the NFL in a game. Right. And you're going to give, you're going to tell me you're going to give him the ball 20 times against this Niners defense on Thanksgiving. I don't think so. I think the way to win for me, from my perspective, offensively is you got to let it all hang out. You got to just chuck it deep and hope for the best. I'd, I'd love to see them get the running backs involved in the passing game. Mm-hmm. I would uh, both uh, McIntosh is going to play this week. Carol all but announced that he was going to play and, and it seems like it's significant reps. Mm-hmm. So do you take advantage of that? Um, that's something that the Niners are not used to you doing. That's a monkey wrench that you can throw into the game plan sure. and you can, you're not going to be able to spam it. But them them anticipating making you think it's his running back going to run or catch just sort of you need any little advantage that you can get mm-hmm. and being unpredictable in that way it's they need to figure out ways to be unpredictable because that's the only way they're going in this game I do not feel confident that this is a game I, I felt going into it even a week ago that they were going to match up better with the 49ers and possibly get them. But if you can't get the Rams, then there's no way you're getting the 49ers. In fact, I've just been so disappointed with the offense. The play calling has not been situationally very smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if I go back and look at the film, there's something that stands out to me. It stood out to me in the moment of uh, there's a third and five where Drew Locke has the ball. He passes it, a deep pass. I think I want to say the DK or J- JSN. I can't remember which one, but it, it was inaccurate anyway but like i won't i apologize for defending him earlier this season on the previous <laughs> podcast i recant everything i said about drew Locke. we can get rid of him too we need to bring in someone else and i think it speaks volumes that they picked up i know they picked up brett rippon because yeah. he was on the rams and they were going to pick his brain to try to understand some of the things that the rams did offensively yeah. teams do that all the time that's an old belichick thing to do but I don't think Drew Locke is, A, he's certainly not the answer, and B, I don't know that he really gives you a shot as a backup. And I think we've seen – we haven't seen a big sample of him, but I don't know that the talent is actually there. It's like it's like trying to roll into a game with Zach Wilson. It's the same type of, you know, athletic, pretty good arm, but just rattled, and you don't actually get to see the arm talent and no accuracy whatsoever – when he gets on the field. So they look good in the t-shirt. They look good, you know, at the combine, but those kind of players are not going to win in games. Mm-mm. It's no. it, the, uh, as far as, you know, if we get back to that Seahawks offense, um, I have it in my notes that, uh, that Chuck and duck for the Seahawks is, is the only way that they're going to win. And that's the phrase that I use because, and I wonder if, you know, the Rams used to do this with Kurt Warner where the way to offset a pass rush was not to keep in more blockers and be conservative. It was to spread out five wide Mm -hmm. and basically go all short game until you can neutralize that pass pass rush. Right. And with Gino, I do think he can read defenses well enough and he's got experienced enough wide receivers that they can figure out the hot calls against 
against the blitz and the hot calls against um, pressure. And so I wonder too, if, you know, you might have 11 personnel in the game, but you might split out McIntosh or split out uh, Charbonnet and, and have Fant off the line instead of on the line to try to get the ball out quickly. I think I just, they, you said it perfectly. They have to do, there has to be misdirection. They have to think, you know, do stuff that's not according to, to, to tendency they have to cut, like I said, let it all hang out, right? I I would be happy if they threw four or five deep balls to DK and just said, DK, like, we're going to try to feed you. You're more talented than, than that secondary. We need you in this game. I need you to go up and get it. And and with, you know, the inexperience in that secondary with the, with the Niners, I think that is the place to attack. I, I agree with you in theory, but I don't trust the O-line against that D-line enough mm-hmm. to um, to go full hog with that plan. I think you could go five out a couple of times, but that's not – I wouldn't base the game plan around that just because I just don't think – particularly Phil Haynes has been a, a real eyesore to me lately whenever he's been in, um, and he, he's going to die against the 49. I, Jason Peters, who's been playing pretty well up to this point, I think is going to like absolute trash can against the 49ers D line. So I just, I don't know that and that's the problem because they, you don't have the rush threat to even make the play action work to your advantage the same way that you need to. Um, I'm not sure there's well, any one thing you can lean in particular. I agree with you in that it's almost like a kitchen sink kind of game. Like I said this before against the Baltimore Ravens, right? You got a chance. You just need to try a bunch of different stuff and see what sticks and then stick with that in the second half because this team knows you too well. And that's that's, unfortunately, that's not been Pete's MO, right? Pete is, this is what we do. Um, We stick with it. This is who we are. I do think if we can switch to the other side of, of the ball, um, you know, one of the changes that I would love to see is cover a running back with a safety, right? If we try to cover, if we're trying to cover uh, McCaffrey with Brooks or Wagner, they're toast. Yeah. I'm sorry, McCaffrey's going for 100 yards pass or receiving at that point. Seriously. But if, if you try to put a, sa- a safety on him mm-hmm. to try to stay with him, I don't know if it's if it's Julian Love playing more. Or if it's, you know, I don't know if I trust Jamal against McCaffrey, but something. You know, he's like been that. good in coverage, right? He has been pretty good in coverage. He's been and good. He's, at, he's been visually, visually without the numbers, he's looked pretty good in coverage. And but it's something other than Brooks and Wagner, right? It's it's changing the scheme ever so slightly. Because to me, the other thing I would do is, I know the Hawks have been, I have it here somewhere, have played so little man compared to other teams, right? I think. Oh, now you want to run, man. Tino coming across on my side no, now. Against, against this team, I do, because I think the corners, <laughs> you've got Ayuk and you've got um, Samuel, right? Yep. And I think Witherspoon and Woolen are better, more talented than those two players. Oh, and sure. I trust Quandre as, you know, my one deep safety. Well, so, okay, Samuel can get you on discipline. Yes. In, in, a, in a young Witherspoon. I think he can yes. get you. Yes. And I do think that they, there might be some busts. But if it's, again, if you're gambling, if it's me, right. if I'm like, we don't have that much of a chance. Right. I'm playing man with one deep safety. I'm bringing Adams into the box, trying to stop that run. And I'm trying to match up somebody fast with McCaffrey mm-hmm. out of the backfield. To me, that's the only way. If you play zone and you sit back, Brock Purdy likes that. He can, he can yes. pick you apart. Yes, like he if can. you could get him 
off schedule, right? If you can get some big, the other thing I have in my notes is I want to see some run blitzes, right? I want to see some eight and nine man fronts where you got run blitzes and you're putting your corners on an island and you're saying, we're going to get you off schedule. We want you in second and 12. Brock yeah. Purdy in second and 12 is different than Brock Purdy in second and four. And so when we've seen him make some mistakes when you can get him off schedule. So again, kitchen sink on both sides of the ball. Yeah. You want to blitz, play man defense. I'd get in, if I was a coach, I would get in the grills of Witherspoon and Woolen. And I would just say, look, this is your turn to show out. Thanksgiving, national television, we're giving you zero help, right? Yep. You might have digs behind you. You might not. Right. But you're going to be on an island all game, but we trust you. This is your time to shine. We're put, we're putting everyone up at that line. Let's go. Let's do this. If you uh, watching Brian Flores, um, the coordinator for the, the Vikings, they're not that good, but that defense is so fun because they've got eight and nine guys at the line and you don't know which guys are coming and which guys are dropping. Seahawks should do some of that. Yeah. Right. But it's, they got to do something different than they've been doing. And I, you said it and I'll say it now. I'm, I'm getting on that bandwagon now that Pete doesn't change that much, you know, and but he has to in this situation because the the matchup just doesn't work. Yeah, if he wants uh, to win, if he wants to win, then he's got to yeah. do something different. And that I we did we didn't really get a chance to rehash the Ravens game, but he did stick with more of the same. You were correct. Mm -hmm. He did stick mm -hmm. with more of the same. And guess what? They got boat raced. Because yes. I, I said it was absolutely if you're going to play into their hands on their home field, you are absolutely going to get boat raced by that team. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, they did not run enough man covers. They didn't make them uncomfortable enough. They stuck with their plan. They stuck with what they generally stick with. They did the tour a little bit. I believe they did about um, 70 percent uh, zone, which is better than they've done. I mean, where it's like there's some games where they're literally 90 percent zone or 95 percent zone. So they did switch it up some, but not enough to, right. to really make them think um, you play right into their their strength and it showed. And so they outclassed you in every way because you're playing into their game yep. on their turf. And so I hope that's yep. a lesson. I doubt it's a lesson, but I would hope it would be a lesson that sometimes you really need to consider your opponent, you know, right. as a coach that's kind of, important to consider your right. opponent and what might make them well, uncomfortable. Think about this. So I, I have it here. Seahawks so far this season have ran 83% zone and um, it says 14% man. The numbers don't match up totally, but it's, I think the Seahawks are second most zone coverage in football so yeah. far this season. The Colts have run 84% and the Panthers have run 84%. So if you say again, if it's me, Say you flip the tendency, right? And you go 50-50 or 60-40, man. You And you have the corners to do it for one, clearly. Yeah. But the second thing is the Niners are going to spend the entire week preparing to, to pass against zone defenses. Right. And so if you can come at them with something completely different, you might buy yourself, you know, a quarter or two where you're shutting them down because they don't know what's going on, right? Right. And again, you have the type of corners with the type of mentalities that if you challenge them and you get in their grill and you say, this is your opportunity, I do think they have the talent to, to really play well. Um, one other thing that I found that I found stunning or fascinating is the, the Niners haven't surrendered a 100-yard rusher in 37 games. 
Wow. It's been 37 games since anyone's rushed for 100 yards against them. The NFL record, I think, is 50 games by the Saints from 17 to 20. But if you think about that, you think about, you know, the Seahawks have had a good, statistically, a good rushing offense, you know, blocking um, offensive line. But this team is, you're not running the ball against this team. No, they're, they're not they're really, very good in the run game, actually. I think they've been decent. What I saw was decent, but. I, I think you're right, but I think that has a lot to do with their backups being better sure. at run blocking. Like your your Jake Curhan, who is a really elite run blocker, but just well, so bad in the health that he can't be put on the field. <laughs> um, uh, guys like uh, Bradford, who also sure. I think shines in the run game. So you're if you're playing your starters, I think it's you'll see different good. numbers. But I think sure. you're right. I think I think it's balanced out to look a bit, little bit better just because of the rotations. Um, even Peterson, I think is. No, oh, he has his game. He's sort of mm-hmm. he's sort of up and down with the run game in in his small sample size. But yeah, I think you'll see um, their look even worse mm-hmm. in in the run blocking if they're going to be playing their starters. And I, for one, and this is a great opportunity to mm-hmm. see what Bradford can do. Yep, because I Haynes agree. isn't going to give you anything. I agree. Haynes isn't going to give you anything. His game is supposed to be the passing game, but he's really struggled. This mm-hmm. year, not just in the pass protection, but also penalties. And he's one of the more penalized guys on the line at this point. And so Bradford is a he's raw mm-hmm. and he's going to have some bad plays. But Haynes can just get run over sometimes anyway. So if you're going to have bad plays anyway, get a guy in there that can help you run block uh, because he's not he's not so bad in pass protection that he can't be put on the field. It's not like a Curran situation situation. So. If I'm uh, there, but the, we're not, we're not the coach. And I'd be surprised if I saw this, but they're really trying to win. Put the guys in. Jack Charbonnet is a guy who can make something out of what you give him, mm-hmm. but he's not the back that's going to make something out of nothing. That's mm-hmm. Kenneth Walker. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the guy to make something out of nothing, which means you have to give some, some sort of a hole mm-hmm. for Zach Charbonnet so he can truck a couple of guys and then get yep. to that way. Right. I, I agree. And I think I do think, too, that the if Lucas is indeed healthy and he plays, I do think, you know, that will change the complexion of the O-line a bit. Um, yeah. But, yeah, That's I true. agree. If kind of the, the future, they have to start thinking about the future a little bit. I know that they're still in playoff contention, but you've got four tough games coming. Mm-hmm. You've got And you've got a, a player in Bradford who clearly is more talented than Phil Haynes is. He might be more raw, yeah. but he's more talented and, and he, he might be a little more, even more run heavy, but and he's, and he's done better overall. If you, if you look has. at that grades, if you can, and I, I know PFF isn't the measure for everything and some people disagree, but I think I actually tend to agree with offensive linemen. For the most part, I, I think they're more consistent with grading that than other positions, yep. but Hank, uh, Bradford is the far better, like overall play, like his grade is higher on PFF than Phil Haynes. And yet Phil Haynes is still being treated as a starter for reasons that I don't really understand. He's more, he's more talented, right? And yeah. if if we if you look at clearly I want them to make the playoffs. But if you look at it's Niners, it's at Dallas, right? Next Thursday, it's at San Francisco mm-hmm. 10 days from then. And then it's Philly at home on the 17th of December. Realistically speaking, this team probably isn't making the playoffs, right? If we're if we're being honest with ourselves, I, I or, think the NFC is so bad that they can. So okay, so you sneak in as a seven. 
Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is at some point in time, you got to start getting those reps, giving those reps to some of the younger players and seeing what you have, right? If those reps, if you started Bradford for the next four games and he kind of could hold his own, then you know I have my starting guards, right? Yeah. And and he learns from that and he's a better player next year because of it. You have to be able to balance the here and right now versus the future. And it's not as if, as you said, there's not a diff a big difference between Bradford and Haynes. And if there is, it's on Bradford's side. Mm-hmm. So to me, it makes all the sense in the world to play him. Um I still uh <sighs> This game, it's Thanksgiving, you're with family, right? You're, as a Hawks fan, you're so excited to, you know, to sit down and finally watch the Seahawks on Thanksgiving. You're used to seeing the Lions and the Packers and the Bears and Cowboys. I don't, man, just don't, I'm not going to say just don't get blown out, but just I want them to play well and I want them to show up. I, You know the fans are going to be nuts, right? You know it's going to be cold and nasty and loud. Um, are we doing predictions today? Yep. Yep. You go first. You want to go first? I can go first. All right. They're going to get boat race. 31 10. Oh, come on. 31 10. 31 10. 49ers. We're, we're, we're going to get murdered, slaughtered to the lambs. I don't see a way around it. Pete Carroll won't do anything that I ask of him. So it doesn't matter what my advice is because he's not going to listen. He never listens to me. Um, and so, yep, he's going to stick to his coaching strategy and get absolutely boat race. It's really unfortunate because I think it could be a close game because I think both defenses can hold up both offense as well. I think they're both capable. I think the defenses match up well, but the offense has struggled so much. And I, I don't trust Gino healthy anymore. So I definitely don't trust him That's coming right. off of an injury. So sorry, not sorry, but Gino has, has lost some trust. I'm not completely out on Gino, but he's lost some trust, a lot of it. Um, and so we're going to get boat raced. All right. So I think, I think uh, McCaffrey's going to get his yards, right? I think that the, that sometimes they're not going to necessarily have the best matchups with McCaffrey, especially if it's against linebackers. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, mean, we didn't cover this, but I am very interested in why, Draymond Jones has played that outside linebacker position instead of. You say instead you're interested? Of, well, it's just interesting to me that they moved him there. I under, I get it, and I think it's it's there's some good results there, but they're not confident in Hall or Taylor at all, is what it says, honestly, right? Um, but what I was saying it is, shouldn't be. I agree. So McCaffrey gets his yards. I do think Ayuk and Samuel, for the most part, are. I wouldn't say locked up, but I don't think they're going to have any big explosive explosive plays. I expect the corners to play well. And I do think they have the ability to get Purdy off schedule and make some mistakes, right? Um, I I trust this defense to play well against the Niners. And I think uh, Hufanga being out is a bigger loss than the casual fan recognizes. He was the heartbeat of that secondary. He brought the thump. Right. He was the big play guy. Um, He was what we want Jamal Adams to be, essentially. Right. That strong safety that hits everyone over the middle, that plays the run well, that can cover some tight ends. And I think him being out and a rookie stepping in for him is a huge deal. And so you couple that with JSN starting to play a lot better. 
starting to understand him and Gino have a little more chemistry now. And I think that I do think that they, that they complete just enough deep balls to DK and to lock it, to actually loosen some stuff up. And I'm going with 21, 20 Seattle Seahawks on Thanksgiving night. That is like, don't look at me like that. That's like Dreamville. No, I am. I, I think, I think that the, I think everyone's gonna count them out and that's worth something. I think that the crowd at night in the cold in Seattle is worth something. I also think that these teams play crazy, crazy, crazy games, right? People get injured. People are fighting. It's always just a a rock fight between these two teams. And we've seen it when the Seahawks were better. The Niners would come in and it's close games when you didn't expect it because of that rivalry. And I think that continues on Thursday. And I am. I think it's Seattle 21-20, shock the world. Gino does just enough with the deep ball to win. And I think that Hufanga um, injury is enough to soften up that secondary that the Seahawks actually can pass the ball. I'm going. I'm only going to push you put push back on one important thing that you said earlier, okay. and that is that if they play zone defense, that Brock Purdy is is comfortable with that. That's in his rhythm, and so it, you're then predicting that they're going to play a lot of man. I am, or well, more man than they typically do. Yeah, I think they're going to take some chances. I'm trying. I'm trying to will it to happen. Come on, Candace. I'm it hasn't to worked so will far. It, happen you, it didn't work for the Ravens game. It was. And they and they have boat races last year, so I don't, I don't have much. Uh, I don't think willing it, it's gonna help me out because they what they need is a coaching strategy change, and that's what we're not gonna see. And, and that's what also, that's what prevents me from being optimistic. There are things that this team can do. I agree with you to to be mm-hmm. competitive and to and to at least have a really good game against right. the 49ers. I agree with you, and I also agree with you that divisional games are weird. That that's true, but um. It's a coaching legacy game for me. These next four games, and really it's been, I included the the Rams game with a coaching legacy game. And he didn't pass the test for different reasons than I anticipated, but he didn't pass the test. Um, the, these, I we, I was talking earlier in the year about P. Curl and, and, and my questioning him as the future head coach of the team, not because I don't love Pete, but because there are just some flaws that I wonder if they can really get over the hump with him on. He started to show some progress in some areas and do things differently. And he still is. But if his my biggest thing is can you can you change and adapt from from to to make your opponent uncomfortable? Sure. And cool. the willingness to make your opponent uncomfortable is very important. Now the defense isn't as bad as it was looking earlier. So I appreciate at least that. He has fielded at least an average defense. We'll find out, though, for sure, because they hadn't really been tested until now. My big thing was he needs to at least have an average defense because you can't be a defensive head coach who can't put together a good defensive team even. Uh, so P. Carroll legacy game on the line. There's... If everything goes your way, mm-hmm. then I agree they will win. But I've lost faith in Pete's ability to to coach to his opponent. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, to me, part of it, too, is the last time the Niners saw the Seahawks, there was no Bobby Wagner. Right. Who yeah. we all who I think is is he kills the four. He does. He, like, he gives the four out of trouble. He does. Right? But he's right. like the, I think he's fourth in football in um, win rate against the run. Yeah. Right. So you've got Wagner in the middle and that's different. You've got against a team that is run heavy. Right. Mm-hmm. A team whose offensive philosophy is predicated on running the ball. Yes. He also 
his biggest contribution, as I've said previously, is his ability to get the defense in the right place yes. and everyone in their spots, which is how the, the Niners have just get gouged and gashed the Seahawks over and over again with misdirection. Yes. Two, the Seahawks didn't have a healthy Jamal Adams last year either. Mm-hmm. And I think if Jamal Adams can stay healthy, he changes the complexion of that defense as well. And thirdly, and maybe most importantly, is the addition of Witherspoon. Yeah. Witherspoon, as we've seen at times, it makes that defense completely different, right? It makes them potentially a top 10 defense by the end of this year, right? I think they're 12th in DVOA as of right now. But he those, those are three big-time players, and I think that keeps the Seahawks in the game. Right. I think that keeps them in the game in a little different manner than we saw last season. And again, it gets back to is the game plan, the right game plan against this ferocious pass rush. Right. And can the Seahawks scheme up enough and identify quickly what's going on in that secondary with inexperienced players in the secondary enough to take advantage of it? But, you know, obviously my prediction is coming uh, coming from, you know, a Seahawks fan. But I do. I realistic, realistically think this game is close. And I do think the Seahawks have some advantages in terms of environment, in terms of sound, in terms of weather. And I trust this defense to play really well in this game. But I'm also it's the holidays and I'm hoping for a gift. So we'll see how this goes. A gift <laughs> indeed it would be if your prediction comes true. I would love I, I agree with you, even if they lose. I just don't want to get embarrassed on national TV. But honestly, if they lose either way, I'm, I, I fear that they're going to try to eat turkey on our field, which would just be, be like traumatic for me to watch. So either way, I'm not sure how happy of a holiday it's going to be unless they win this thing. Uh, but they can sure make up last week's loss to me if they pulled out this one, most certainly. So mm-hmm. anywho, uh, that's all that we have the time for today. We hope everybody enjoys the holidays, time with family, enjoys watching the game, whether the Seahawks get boat raced or not. Hope they <laughs> enjoy at least the time. Um, and it is it is really cool to be on a stage like this and, and hopefully we can play well enough to be invited back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tito, I want to tell people where they can find you and we'll we'll take us home. For sure. So Tino Junior 20 on Twitter, T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. I am the host of the Mariners cast. Right now we're doing a Monday uh, podcast where we're talking about what's going on in the offseason, um, how the different moves impact the Mariners. Lots of fun. We'll be getting into two a week pretty soon here. Um, and then you can find me on the couch real full with three helpings watching that Hawks game later on uh, tomorrow. Great yeah. stuff. Be sure to find to follow the show if you're not already at Ethos Seahawks. If you're listening on YouTube, like, follow, comment. We'd love to hear your feedback and your thoughts on the game. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, be sure to give us a review. We will shout out five star reviews, so please be sure to do that. Um, and guys, that's all I got. The time, that's all the time we have for today. We're out, and as always, go Hawks.